our podcast, we have the topic of bioterrorism for our public health discussion. Talking today in our podcast is me, Drake Cavanaugh. I am a junior at the University of Florida and I'm majoring in biology. I'm Alexis. I am a rising second year. I'm pre-nursing. My name is Artie. I am a junior and I'm a psychology major. My name is Genevieve. I'm a rising senior and I'm a public health major. And Genevieve is also our interviewee today. So we'll be asking her um, the topics of bioterrorism and she's going to try and educate us as best as possible and you, the audience. Hey guys, before we get into it, we'd like to cover some maybe unfamiliar terms. So here's the vocabulary segment. Yeah, get into it! A hazardous agent is an infectious agent or a biological agent that exerts harmful effects on workers' health, either directly through infection or indirectly through damage to working environment. Okay, and so to jump right in, we're going to get into it. So our first basic topic is what is bioterrorism, Genevieve? So bioterrorism can be caused by a lot of things, but it's primarily the use of bacteria, viruses, or germs, and the main purpose is to harm people, according to the CDC. And it usually spreads fear among the population. It's typically done to cause illness through public places by the intentional release of hazardous agents. It can cause physical effects on people by making them become sick and can have potential for death, but often affects a small number of people. It also has a mental health effect because it makes people alter their behavior due to the fear. And to go a little bit into it, we can go into the history of bioterrorism and where we've seen this before. Um, so bioterrorism started 14 centuries ago when Anatolian people sent infected rams to their enemies. And this is the first documented known history of bioterrorism, but the first one against the U.S. didn't happen until 1984. And this is when we have Rajneesh's, um, an Indian cult who had open views on spiritual and sexual freedom, contaminated salad bars intentionally with salmonella in Oregon. So with that being said, how Genevieve is how can you prepare for one of these acts of bioterrorism? Is there a way you can stop it? So preparing for bioterrorism is similar to preparing for a natural disaster. It's best to obtain enough food, water, money, and supplies depending on the severity of the act. It can take a lot of time as we're expecting now. It's important to not take antibiotics. Antibiotics are drugs that cause certain bacteria in the human body depending on what is affecting you. For example, penicillin, which targets the peptidoglycan in the cell wall of gram-positive bacteria, or staphylococcus. This is recommended because antibiotics are not able to kill viral illnesses because they are taking over the host cell. So, like I mentioned previously, bioterrorism can be caused by bacteria, viruses, or germs. So, if you're not entirely sure if the bioterrorism is caused by a virus, this is why we recommend to not take antibiotics. What type of threats are common with bioterrorism? So as previously mentioned in the history section, anthrax is a big one. Anthrax is an infection that's caused by bacteria. It's mostly common in cattle and sheep. It's rarely found in humans, but can be used as an act of bioterrorism if someone deliberately spreads the bacteria within public spaces. Three forms of these are seen in humans. So through the skin, um, infection is caused by touching infected animal products or soil itself. 
gastrointestinal infection caused by eating undercooked meat that is contaminated with anthrax, and then inhalation infection, which is caused by breathing in the anthrax bacteria. Unfortunately, antibiotics do kill anthrax, and it's not spread from person to person. Other forms of bioterrorism that we use but no longer found as forms due today um, due to vaccines are botulism, plagues, and smallpox. All right, very interesting. It's very, it's kind of funny how we got bioterrorism as a topic during this pandemic that we're all going through right now. So for the next segment, we'll be covering the quarantine and chill. Was COVID-19 an act of bioterrorism? So there have been a lot of articles released with suspicions that COVID-19 was man-made and intentionally released by the Chinese government for many reasons. It's affected males more than females, a way of attacking militaries across the world. It occurred during an election year, surprisingly. It creates opportunity for income and wealth redistribution, similarly seen in the 2008 recession, and it caused a pullback in markets. Sources are coming forward that genome is not manipulated by humans. It's still questionable, though fairly new evidence and research is still going on. I actually read about this, and it was pretty crazy to like realize everything that was going for the argument that it was um, released intentionally in a form of bi- bioterrorism. But you know, who knows? There are scientists around the world that are still looking at its genome, trying to figure out if it's been man-made. Cause you can tell if the genome's been man-made through the specific proteins, I believe, in order to um, manipulate the genome. You can tell if it is man-made or not. That is still ongoing. It's all new. For our next segment, I planned a Q&A. So I'm here. You got Qs. I got As. We're going to go over some what I thought were interesting facts going through research. For first question, I guess, uh, Artie, you can take your shot at this one. Economic impact of a bioterrorism attack range from. So we have choices here: 450 million dollars to 20 billion dollars, 1 million to 20 million dollars, 50 million to 100 million dollars. I'm gonna have to go with answer choice B: 1 million to 2 million dollars. It's actually 450 million to 20 billion dollars. Wow. Okay, so. What could theoretically cause more deaths? An airborne release of 250 pounds of anthrax force over DC or a one megaton hydrogen bomb? What do you think, Genevieve? Wow, okay, I'd have to say a one megaton hydrogen bomb. It's actually the airborne release of 250 pounds of anthrax force over DC. Third question. Um, what percentage of states lack the capacity and infrastructure in their labs to respond to bioterrorist acts if one was to occur now? 5%, so, 2.5%, 15%, or 25%? I'm going to go with the larger one, 25%. And you would be correct. Oh, okay. It actually is one in four states are lack the capacity and infrastructure in their labs to respond to bioterrorist attacks. Okay, so our final segment will be going over the categories. There are three categories that bioterrorism uh, agents and diseases can be 
categorized into. We have category A, B, and C. So I will go over category A. Genevieve, what is category A agent? So a category A agent has high priority agents that pose a risk to national security because they can easily disseminate from person to person, has a high mortality rate, causes public panic and social disruption. Examples of category A agents are anthrax and smallpox. Okay, cool. Um, category B agent, uh, can you explain this, Genevieve? Yes, so a category B agent is the second highest priority agent, which moderately is easy to disseminate, moderately morbidity rates and low mortality rates. Examples of these include typhoid, fever, and cholera. Salutations. I was wondering if you could explain category C, please. Yes, absolutely. So a category C is the third highest priority agent and includes emergency pathogens that could be engineered for mass dissemination in the future due to availability, easy production and dissemination, potential for high morbidity and mortality rates. Examples of these include emerging infectious diseases and the hantavirus. Through all learning about all this A, B, and C, what's the biggest reason for a um, active bioterrorism to be in each category? So the difference between the categories is the mortality rate. So category A would have high mortality rate, category B is moderately high, and then category C has like the potential for mortality rates, but it's also usually low. Right, awesome. Okay, so that's really like the deciding factor between the three. Where does COVID-19, if it was confirmed as an act of bioterrorism, what category will it fall into? So as we previously reviewed the importance of mortality rate and how they place specific acts of bioterrorism in categories, COVID-19 fall under category A because it's easily disseminated and spread quickly from person to person, especially when a lot of people are asymptomatic. It has a high mortality rate, so this would cause it to be underneath the category A. And it's also, to add to that, it's causing a lot of panic and disruption in our, like, normal societal function. Yes, that's very true. All right, and that will do it for the Bioterrorism Podcast here on the Public Health Discussion. Stay safe out there, guys. And thanks for tuning in.